government stakeholders around East Asia, they got to be think they got to be concerned that yep. it's not going to get the same airtime. And just very quickly, where does Taiwan fit into his plans? The outgoing Trump administration removed all the self-imposed restrictions on Taiwan ties with Taiwan. Do you think he's going to stick with that? I think uh, what, what the nominee for Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, said in his hearing is, is probably going to set the tone, at least for the initial few months. And he did not say we're going to do anything wonderful along the lines of the Trump administration's actions. He kind of gave the, the bureaucratic answer that uh, American foreign policymakers have given for decades. So I think Taiwan does need to have a little bit of concern about that. Ross, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group in Taiwan. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian stock markets are surging ahead this morning after US stocks uh, indices hit record highs over on Wall Street. The ASX 200 in Australia up 0.6%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan up 1%. The Cosby in South Korea also up 1%. Hong Kong stocks look set to add to their record-breaking run. Uh, they're going to add about another half a percent at the open, according to futures markets. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is trading at $55.72 a barrel. Gold is at $1,870 an ounce. And that's it from me. Do please stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Andrew Work. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast this morning. Sunny periods, maximum temperature is going to be about 23 degrees. The outlook, mild with sunny periods in the next couple of days. And then mainly fine early to midweek. Next week, it's 19 degrees right now. 71% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The newly inaugurated President of the United States, Joe Biden, has signed a slew of executive orders overturning many of his predecessors' controversial policies. The U.S. has rejoined the Paris Climate Accord and the World Health Organization. And Mr. Biden revoked Donald Trump's travel ban on some Muslim-majority countries. President Biden's inauguration was unlike any other, with only a scattering of witnesses to the day's oaths and ceremonies. Instead, 200,000 flags were installed on the National Mall to represent those who couldn't attend. In his address, Mr. Biden called for unity and said truth, not lies, would now prevail. Today, we celebrate the triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. The people, the will of the people has been heard and the will of the people has been heeded. We've learned again that democracy is precious. Democracy is fragile. And at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. Britain has seen another daily record number of deaths from the coronavirus pandemic as the country's chief scientific advisor has warned the scenes in some hospitals are like a war zone. Sir Patrick Vallance said vaccines alone were not doing enough at present to make it possible to ease the lockdown. The latest daily figure shows a further 1,820 people died. Hungary has become the first country in the European Union to approve the use of the Russian coronavirus vaccine Sputnik V. The decision comes after Prime Minister Viktor Orban criticised the European Union for delays in supplying sufficient quantities of the German-developed Pfizer-BioNTech vac vaccine. The authorization means 6,000 doses of Sputnik delivered in December can now be used. A million doses of a Chinese vaccine are expected to arrive shortly. Trucks sent by the Venezuelan government carrying oxygen have arrived in the Brazilian city of Manaus. Death rates in hospitals inundated with COVID-19 cases have spiked as they ran out of supplies. Here's the BBC's Candice Piat. 
The five lorries carrying around a day's worth of Manaus's current oxygen needs travelled over one and a half thousand kilometres from the Venezuelan city of Puerto Ordaz. They were sent by the Venezuelan government following an appeal from the Amazonas state governor. Hospitals in Sao Paulo also responded by flying in mobile oxygen plants, which will be installed by the military in the next few days. The Brazilian health minister, Eduardo Pazuello, has rejected criticism that he knew the oxygen shortage in Amazonas was brewing, but didn't react. He said he'd played his part by mobilising the air force to ship supplies to Manaus. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivers and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Just one story today. The United States has a new leader, Joe Biden, who became at 78 the oldest U.S. president in history at a scale-back ceremony in Washington, largely stripped of the usual pomp and circumstance. That's due to the coronavirus and security concerns following the assault on the Capitol by supporters of Donald Trump. Biden spoke of a historic moment of crisis and challenge, saying unity is the path forward. In a flurry of executive orders, he ordered a halt to the construction of the border wall, ended the ban on travel from some Muslim-majority countries, and declared his intent to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and the World Health Organization. So, what are the prospects for him, and what is the legacy of Donald Trump? What will this mean for us in Hong Kong, and how will China policy change? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266, Joining us for this first part of the programme, we have with us now Joseph Gregory Mahoney, Professor of Politics and Director of the International Graduate Programme in Politics at East China Normal University, and David Zweig, who's uh, Director of the Transnational China Consulting Limited and uh, Emeritus Professor in the Division of Social Sciences at the University of Science and Technology. Others will be joining us in the uh, second part of the uh, programme. David Zweig, let's start with you. Okay, so the, 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 the big question, I guess, for everyone... Uh, out here is um, how what difference is this going to make for China? What difference is this going to make for Hong Kong? Um, you reading the tea leaves? Uh, do you think Biden is going to be uh, have a different kind of approach? Well, I think he'll have a stylistic approach that'll be different. Um, thanks for inviting me, by the way. I think he'll have a stylistic approach. I think it it'll tend to be seen take time to figure out just how much. Uh, difference it's going to make in terms of specific policies, but I think the style will uh, make things easier. Uh, you know, we were talking last week about Pompeo's, you know, poking poking uh, a C in the eye about Taiwan and stuff like that. I don't think the Taiwan policy will change very much, but it'll be played very differently. It won't be uh, as a way of sort of, you know, stoking the, the dragon and trying to get a fight going. I think that's a big difference. I think a lot of the things will not change. I think, well, it'll change for China in some ways. I mean, something, it may be tougher in some ways. Because in the past, it's really been a one-on-one battle, right? So C versus Trump, America versus China. If, if Biden continues or does what he promises, which is to be much more multilateral, then you're going to have, China could find itself in much greater pressure from uh, the EU, the European Union, and the United States, together with Australia, with Canada, uh, sort of putting pressure on China on, on, on certain issues. And I, I think that'll have uh, an impact uh, on uh, on how China... China may feel more ganged 
Yeah, and I mean, uh, and it just made it be tougher. Yeah, the Biden administration has been pretty clear that uh, they feel like America has surrendered leadership in international bodies, and, and China has rushed in. Uh, aggressively to fill the vacuum, and, and Biden's made it pretty clear that he wants to. You know, he's getting signing up back again for the for the WHO, but he is also going to push back on Chinese dominance of a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of these international bodies, uh, like like for example, Interpol. And, yeah. Well, um, I think that each thing will you know take time on everything, uh, issue by issue. He's uh, just uh, you know China. Uh, will feel greater pressure maybe uh, on climate change mm. because today he signed the agreement to go back into the Paris Peace Accords. Mm-hmm. And so there'll, there'll be much tougher negotiations, I think. Um, uh, Interpol, what do we have there? Uh, hi, Andrew, how are you? Good Canadian guy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he'll be under, um, you know, the, the Ch- there was a Chinese guy running Interpol. Is he still running Interpol? No, he disappeared in China. Oh, right. <laughs> he, he went on holiday to China right. and disappeared. Yes, I remember. In his right. own country. I remember. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, those are things wherever the United States, but the United States hadn't pulled out of Interpol. I mean, where China had been able to move in would be in places where the United States had vacated or really downplayed their role, the WHO, you know. Uh, Fauci's going to show up tomorrow or the next meeting of the WHO. Uh, Dr. Fauci is going to be there as the U.S. representative. That's going to bring true, you know, numbers, data, uh, back into that kind of negotiation. And I don't think Fauci will be, you know, Trump today. It was very interesting when when uh, uh, Trump said goodbye at Andrews Air Force Base. He couldn't resist one comment about the China virus. He couldn't resist. Yeah, right? yeah. He, just, he couldn't do it. Yeah. Right? He just had to do something like that. Anyway, um, uh you know, I, I, I was prepared for some other things to talk about, about sort of what's left over of the Trump uh, uh, administration is everybody's, you know, what's going to linger, I think. But we can get back to that if yep. you want to ask your... We- the other guest about his views. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a moment. But one thing I, I did want to sort of nail down a little bit more was, um, yeah, I mean the the, the hostility to uh, to uh, China um, that we've seen from the United States. You know, we have seen reflected certainly in public opinion, uh, according to polls, uh, in many countries in the well, world, in Japan yeah. and South Korea as well, and, and Canada, in European Union, Australia, Canada, you know, or many places, uh, seem to have shifted in their attitude now. How much is that because of Trump and how much is that despite Trump? Because they don't like Trump either, many of those places, um, but they've decided yeah, they don't I like China either. So what's, what's sure, going on? Is it because of Trump or, or despite him? No, I think, it, I think it's uh, a pretty much a response to uh, how China is perceived. I mean, if you ask Canadian, I mean, look at the, look at the response of the German delegate to the nationals, to the, the Security Council in the U.N., announces that he's leaving and he says to the Chinese representative, I hope that, you know, that you will soon do something about the two Canadians, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the Chinese response is, you know, something like, uh, good riddance, get out of here, we're glad you're leaving. You know, I mean, that doesn't make Canadians go, oh, the no. cuddly yeah. panda bear, yeah. right? So I think that, you know, the U.S., I think, I think that, you know, Trump's, Trump in the United States, I think there was something like a 10% increase in hostility under Trump. I think if you look at before, I mean, we can answer, data can answer your question, you, right? Um, you could go and look at what the numbers were um, at the end of the Obama administration and what they are today. I suspect that they went up, as I recall, something about 10%. But, um, but uh, let me just say one other thing about the hostility. 
instability that I think, or the tension. You know, um, I think the tech war isn't over. I think that, because I was thinking about what's going to continue, right? I think the tech war is not over. I think that uh, even though Trump has done it in a very and sort of almost silly way, you know, TikTok and um, claiming that other com- these companies are national security risks, there's going to be a serious battle for the future technologies. Uh, and that that's not, you know, that there even are sanctions. I think some of those sanctions will continue. Trump, uh, uh, Biden's going to have to think about lifting sanctions or not on the tech companies. I'll be quiet now. Okay, <laughs> Professor Mahoney. Good morning to you. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Do, 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 do you agree with uh, David Zweig's uh, assessment of the prospects for uh, China relations under Biden? Well, I, I agree uh, with a lot of what he said. Uh, I think you know, for a lot of uh, uh, watchers, the, the decision to appoint uh, Kurt Campbell, his so-called Asia czar, or the you know, I think what they're calling him is the Indo-Pacific coordinator, which, you know, using that term Indo-Pacific is already uh, kind of an indicator of, of um, you know, a, a rather conservative uh, American defensive position uh, vis-a-vis China. And, you know, we saw a, a number of uh, commentators in the United States, even from the American Enterprise Institute, uh, applauding uh, Campbell's uh, selection that, that uh, this meant that, uh, that someone who is relatively a China hawk um, I, I, I think Campbell is, is more of a realist. I, I don't think he's going to um, pursue um, uh, some of the silly self-defeating policies that we saw under Trump. But at the same time, I think that they're going to build on a lot of the things that, that Trump uh, put out there uh, and might have been coming anyway with, with the pivot had, had uh, Hillary Clinton been elected. Who knows? But um, – uh, I think that we'll see. Uh, I think we'll see the relations uh, become a little more complicated in some ways, but but at the same time more manageable. I think that uh, that um, uh, you know Beijing can can handle uh, very well relationships that proceed in a in a logical, orderly way, and they can make adjustments. But when you're always pushing Beijing back on its on its heels. This is where this is where things um, um, really start to, to move out of control. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm optimistic. Yeah, I'm, Professor I'm optimistic that that a more orderly approach. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the uh, the Asia Tsar. I'm looking at the nominee for Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and you know it's a lot of tough talk. Uh, you know, talking about Hong Kong. You know, we got to take a hard look at Hong Kong. He says yes. You know, uh, it's it's genocide. What's happening and. Uh, and with the Uyghurs, they have to make sure they're not importing products made with forced labor. Uh, you know, he, it's a lot of tough talk coming out of this. And then the Secretary for Commerce nominee is, I believe, a Taiwanese American, which I think is, you know, kind of a rich <laughs> appointment uh, for coming in. I mean, the, the, the military person responsible for China, I think it's Ellie Ratner, um, is also very tough. So the, he's part of a group, um, as uh, Professor Mahoney said, there's a kind of group, a sort of uh, democratic uh, hawkish, bit hawkish, and I think they've got they've been moving into they're moving into a lot of uh, positions at uh, at key points. Yeah. Can I just say one other thing? I never. Well, I think, I think there one are, other thing. I think there are two. I think there are a couple of key points, though. You know, Biden has made it clear, and it, and it's not an unreasonable conclusion that uh, you know there's a strategic competition between the United States and China, and um, that's that's going to be you know. 
in addition to uh, uh, the concerns that he's raised with Russia. That's that's just an absolute fact. Um, but he, he's also aware politically that going forward, um, he will face constant uh, political attack from the right if he's perceived as being soft on China, and he needs to uh, protect his flank. Um, the, the thing about uh, genocide, and this was a thing that Pompeo you know, announced uh, yesterday, um, and you know, Blinken has has picked up on it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I think we should be honest and say that there's no real evidence that a de facto genocide is taking place in Xinjiang. You know, people have have appropriated the term cultural genocide, and that's kind of a that's kind of a a, um, a new term that that has been embraced to, to try to you know. Uh, paint this in, in the worst possible way, but now we've dropped the word cultural, and now it's just genocide. And you know, you read what they what they're what they're calling genocide, and it's really what they were describing previously as genocide. But now we're slipping into this, you know, this really demonizing language that we generally reserve for for people like uh, Hitler. And uh, I'm I'm a little troubled by it, uh, frankly. David Zweig. Yeah, I was going to say a couple of things on the genocide. It it has certain implications. Um, for what China can and can't do, for um, uh, because it is considered to be genocide. I mean, you know, uh, no imports at all, at all of, of goods, no goods at all from from Xinjiang. I was going to say one thing though about uh, Biden uh, and and China is I think you know uh, Biden. It's important to remember Biden knows Xi better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Right? Biden spent more hours. I think it's something like sixty hours. Uh, together when Xi was vice president, and he was vice president, and he visited China as Xi's guest, and Xi visited the United States as his guest, and so they spent a lot of time traveling together. Supposedly, though, uh, they had a decent relationship, but supposedly now Biden is much less enamored of the things that he's seen Xi do. So, so, so for example, the Hong Kong issue. So, for example, the the Xinjiang issue. Uh, the South China Sea and East China Sea. So, so there is a, a dy- there will be a dynamic there, I think, too, that will affect the people who are making, who are sort of implementing China policy. And I don't think it's just Kurt Campbell. I agree that Campbell's a sign, a signal, but but I think a fair amount of this can also be seen to be coming out of uh, President Biden. Okay, here's some. Uh, here's some comment from uh, uh, listeners' uh, emails. Uh, Derek says, I'm feeling a little better today. A sense of relief and a little bit more optimistic that maybe things will start to get better. That's from Derek. Uh, Alan says, 4,000 Americans are still dying every day from COVID. 90% of that is down to Trump's mismanagement. Early on, he made the calculation that it was worse in big cities run by Democrats, so he attacked everything they did to mitigate and try to blame them for every death that resulted. Of course, this backfired when it inevitably spread to the entire USA. He refused to change tack and simply denied the facts. That is his response to every problem. Worldwide, he destroyed the standing of the US on any moral issue, weakened military and trade and environmental alliances. Xi Jinping and Putin were emboldened and could push push their brutality at home and imperialism abroad with impunity. Our Wumo have an embarrassment of choice for whataboutism. Biden has huge problems at home and will be hampered at every step by the attacks on his legitimacy by Trump's partisans. I have no idea what his policies on China will be, but the Beijing Joe idea spread by the Trump campaign and locally by Epoch Times et al. is just absurd. No one in the US on either side is going to buddy up to Xi now. Joe may not make performative ban 
guns and slurs, as Trump did, but he simply won't ignore uh, human rights. Trump thought he could do foreign policy with handshakes and or threats. He wanted the focus to be on him personally. The only way to get China to be less brutal is with strong international alliances, so they cannot target and punish smaller countries that dare to criticise them, as currently they are doing to Australia. That is uh, from uh, Alan. And uh, Matthew... Your emails seem to agree with us. Uh, yeah, uh, you should. You know, okay. Oh, you, how can you be saying that? They'll, 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 come, they'll come in a moment, David. Yeah, just don't, don't worry. Oh, okay. uh, uh, Matthew yeah. says um, the, uh, the CCP's sanctions list and conditions are quite significant and represent a very bold, direct test of Biden in the first moments of his administration. It includes most key China policy related Trump administration officials and figures and their immediate family. Bill Bishop's Sinicism newsletter notes this morning that, quote, the last sentence of the announcement looks to be the most meaningful. They and the companies and institutions associated with them are also restricted from doing business with China, unquote. He notes this goes straight to the core of interests of the D.C. Beltway crowd. No think tank or corporate board post for you if you take an anti-China stance. A warning shot to Team Biden. I would add law firms, financial firms, consulting firms, strategic advisory shops like West Executive Advisors and the Asian group. Anyone under these kinds of PRC sanctions would be radioactive to any firm with interests in China. Presumably the Biden administration must have been well prepared for this kind of test and make a swift and decisive response. Let's see. That comes from Matthew. Uh, interesting observations there. Thanks. Back to rthk.hk, our email address. Professor Mahoney, let's talk a little bit about Trump. Um, you know, what do you think are successes and failures? How would you uh, divvy them up for uh, Trump? What was his legacy, do you think? Well, you know, I think it's really hard at this point to talk about uh, the successes. Uh, um, you know, again, as, as the, the comment uh, made clear, we have roughly 4,000 dying per day. Um, we'll probably reach half a million before the uh, vaccines really begin to bite uh, and take effect. Um, you know, I, I was talking uh, to a neighbor of mine today here in, in Tennessee. She's in her 60s. Um, she's expected to, to get the vaccine the first dose sometime in September. That's how that's how slow it's moving. Um, I think that um, I think that in terms of his legacy, uh, you know, he, he promised uh, to make the country great again, um, but he left it in incredible disarray, uh, violence. Uh, uh, death from uh, an uncontrolled and uncontained um, uh, virus, um, uh, international relations in tatters, uh, an economy in, in uh, a dangerous position uh, with very few resources to actually fix the problem. And so I don't know how Biden's going to come up with $1.9 trillion for a bailout that, that doesn't, uh, you know, who's going to pay for that long term? Um, but um, I think that the thing that, that a lot of people are really struggling with right now is. Um, where does the Republican Party go from here? Um, you know, if Trump uh, decides to remain in uh, the political fray, and he's, he's indicated that that's likely, um, it risks further dividing uh, the party um, and, and further dividing uh, communities in America in a way that will make it very difficult uh, to govern and make it very difficult for the two-party system to work as it traditionally has. Now, those may be uh, ultimately things that are necessary, but um, but I think that's I think that's his immediate legacy. Um, others will point uh, to the fact that um, that Trump took the difficult position uh, positively of of confronting China, um, 
and that he that he uh, that his policies towards uh, the rest of the world were warning shots in a way, and, and, and you know that people will now count their lucky stars uh, and rush into Biden's arms, and this may be sort of a benefit. But uh, I don't think that's the case. I think that uh, if you look at the, the Pew poll that uh, came out uh, a couple of days ago, uh, maybe it was last week, uh, the one maybe you're familiar with the one I talked about in, in Europe, where the majority of, of people now believe that, that China has surpassed the U.S. as a as a leading power, that the United States is in a position to decline. Um, I don't know. I think no. I think they said that would happen in the next. I think they said that would happen. In the next ten years. years. I don't think they said it already happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Yeah. uh, Something. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Just say we've got we've got a a caller on the line now. Two three three eight eight two six six. It's Mike. Mike. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Your your last uh, just cracked me up. Your last uh, uh, speaker Mm -hmm. couldn't think of any accomplishments. Okay, he's here, per- he's here, he's called <laughs> Professor Mahoney. Can I introduce you, Mike? This yeah, is Professor, Professor Mahoney. Mahoney. Talk to him. Yeah, go, what go do ahead. you think about energy independence? What do you think about no new wars? The first president in how long where there was no new conflict? I think that is huge. The unemployment to be a record for blacks, Hispanic, he got the largest black vote that any Republican president ever got. Professor Other Mahoney? Than, yeah, you, well, I think that... You can't, uh, you can't think about... Wait, wait, Mike, wait. Okay, wait, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think, again, that uh, uh, people dying and, and, and people struggling to make a living, if you drive around in Memphis, you see people lining up trying to get food because they're hungry. Uh, people feeling like the virus is stalking them, and, and who knows who's, who's it's going to kill next. I think we all know people at this point who have either been infected and, and seriously damaged by it or died from it. So all of these issues, I think, kind of trump. Now, the, the, you can me? talk about Pardon not me? waging You're war. You can talk about not waging. You can, no, no, what I would say is two things, that, that there were deep systemic crises, and Trump made them worse. And I don't think that... Biden is the silver bullet that a lot of people hope that he's going to be. But I would also contest whether or not Trump was really a peacemaker. I think that if you look at the friction and the animosity and the way that he stoked racism both internationally and at home, uh, which contributed to more violence, Completely false. as Completely well as false. the assassination, as well as the assassination of the Iranian uh, general, um, I think that we I think that we went to the brink of war uh, more than one time. Um, and if, we, and if we just want to say, well, thank God he didn't start another war and kill a bunch more people as previous presidents did, okay, thank you, Trump. Thank you for not doing that. That, that is just that is gobbledygook. Okay. Yes, David Zweig, yeah. Yeah, I want to I want to agree with, um, I disagree with the, the guest, I think that, not the guest, with the, the person who phoned in. Um, I, you know, I think there are a couple things that you could look at President Trump that he, he did. Uh, energy independence was not necessarily him. Energy independence is the result of fracking, uh, which has changed the situation in, in energy dramatically. But but I think the most important thing for um, uh, one of the most important things is the, the emergence of extremism, the legitimization of extremism, the legitimate legitimization of the continuation of either the civil war or white supremacists who want to put an end to black emancipation that happened uh, uh, long ago, that he legitimized
the genie back in the bottle. He legitimized it in a way that no president should ever have legitimized it. So, so you can talk about some of his economic successes, and, and, and there were some, and you know, before the virus hit, uh, the economy was doing pretty well. Um, but but I, I think that for a significant portion of the population, particularly the black Americans, they are so happy to see this guy gone. Um, and and yeah, I, I think that, that's just a terrible thing. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple other issues. First of all, you know, we didn't achieve energy Sorry, independence. Sorry, 30 we seconds. Really backward on, yeah. yeah, we really went backward on renewable energy. Uh, and furthermore, um, you know, this economy that Trump built was a house of cards built on historically low interest rates, uh, unfettered fiscal policy, right? So easy money and just spend, spend, spend. And that's caught up with us now, okay? So the, the economic miracle of Trump was a disaster, and it's left us, us flat-footed in the middle of a crisis. Hey, go, okay. Goldman, Goldman oh, sorry, Sachs wait, is up 135% profits. What's the problem? <laughs> okay. Everybody's fine. All, all right, Mike, uh, thanks very much indeed for, for your call, and thank you to our guest, to uh, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, their Professor of Politics, Director of the International Graduate Program in Politics at the East China Normal University, and to uh, David Zweig, uh, the uh, Director of Transnational China Consulting Limited and Emeritus Professor in the Division of Social Science at the University of Science and Technology. Uh, other guests will be joining uh, after the news at nine, and we want to hear from you. Call us on 233-88266. Comment on our Facebook page, that's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3, or drop us an email. That's uh, backchat at rthk.hk. David L. says, Dear Sir, I hear and understand these negative comments about Trump, but how do you explain that 70, plus, 70 million plus Americans voted for him? Biden will have to deal with those Americans. The weather, sunny periods, 20 degrees now, relative humidity is at 70%. Latest daily figure shows a further 1,820 people died. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Thursday morning with Andrew Work and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're continuing to talk uh, about the uh, big story of the day, which is the new leader in the United States, Joe Biden, at 78, the oldest U.S. president uh, in history. He's got going with this uh, flurry of uh, executive orders, uh, including joining the World Health Organization and the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, we were talking about uh, foreign policy largely in the first part of the program um, this morning. Uh, we're going to turn more, I guess, to the uh, domestic issues and also the future of the Republicans' party and the uh, landscape of politics uh, in the United States. As we're joined now by uh, Dekai, who's elected voting representative with Democrats abroad in Hong Kong and a professor of computer science and engineering at the University of Science and uh, Technology. Uh, because he's representing uh, Democrats abroad, he can't comment on uh, foreign policy issues uh, today. That's fine. And we also hope to be joined by Chris Exline, uh, former chair of Republicans abroad uh, in Hong Kong. And of course, mm -hmm. we want to hear from you. Uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3 is the Facebook page. Uh, you also you can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. We'll do our best to read out your messages. And we've got some relating to discussion yesterday, which we'll get to uh, probably at the end of the programme. Or you can call us. That's the simplest way. And the telephone number is 233-88266. Make like Mike. Tom on Facebook says, renowned cult expert Steve Hassan made an appearance on CNN yesterday describing how Trump is acting very much like a cult leader 
and discussing the need to deprogram the most radical of Trump supporters. An interesting watch. As we saw in Hong Kong, radical political movements give a lot of feeling of purpose and connection and can have a strong draw for people seeking purpose. CNN's list of characteristics of a cult leader matches someone we've been watching for four years very well, don't they? And uh, it attaches a story from uh, CNN. Um, Mike says, this is uh, Mike who called earlier as well, I think, uh, it has an email with the subject line, not my president. Uh, Mike says, that term takes on a larger meaning. Now that Beijing Biden has taken the oath, I find it hilarious that now Michigan judges have finally allowed discovery and gave the plaintiff a preliminary injunction to force the Secretary of State to produce the Dominion machines for forensic examinations. The examiners discovered that the machines were in fact designed to intentionally and purposefully create election fraud. A judge wouldn't have given this preliminary injunction if he didn't think that merits of the case couldn't prevail. Some of the door is now open to investigate other states. Now it really seems the Democrats have pulled off the biggest steal in world history. Uh, if you read this, and there the, there the message ends from Mike, who won't let it go. <laughs> really won't won't let, won't let it go. Uh, Dikai, good morning to you, and thanks for th thanks for for joining us. Um, uh, yeah. What has Biden got to change? What do you think has got he should be the priority when it comes to kind of reshaping the environment? Well, we have, you know, a, tr a tremendous amount of damage to undo over the last four years. Um, we have we have massively divisive politics in the US, a president uh, of the last four years who left under a, a huge cloud of controversy. Uh, Washington's been filled with military uh, against uh, his more white nationalist insurrectionist supporters. Um, he's the only president to be impeached twice uh, with a looming trial in Senate and the third lowest job approval rating of his entire term at 34 mm. percent. And I mean, he, there's going to be a lot of undoing that he can do quickly because so much of American uh, lawmaking is now issued by executive order. It's not going through proper legislative channels. So Donald and, and I mean, this has been going on for much longer than, than pre-Trump. I mean, I think this started in the Clinton era with executive orders and it's it's accelerated. And so a lot of those executive orders that Trump brought in are going to be undone. You know, by Joe Biden with the stroke of a pen. I mean, even Trump was undoing some of his own, like the uh, the ban on White House officials going into lobbying. Drain, drain the swamp. Oh, wait, no, wait, my people can do it. But I mean, you know, is there is, supposedly uh, Joe Biden's got all these executive orders lined up and ready to go. It's just going to be a flurry of activity. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think there's no choice but to, but, you know, to undo the executive orders uh, that were disastrous that were uh, done by Trump, you know, and, and there really have been four priorities. Of course, there, there's been tackling COVID, there's mm. climate, um, there is uh, the uh, racial discrimination, and there's the economy. But is that any way to run a country? Or, or is, is it like, we're going to have these executive orders now, but is there any appetite for reducing the scope for executive orders and putting the ability to legislate back in to back to Congress and Senate, where it probably should be dealt with? Certainly there is. Um, this is, is, is more it? a matter of um, uh, putting out the fires uh, that have been burning the House down for the last four years, mm. you know, for the last four years, yeah. while putting the processes back in that have also been torn down over the last four years. And so uh, if we look at COVID, uh, this is not a time where we can take deliberative uh, 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 processes that go for two years mm. of debate in sure. in Congress. Yeah. So we've already seen 
that uh, with executive actions and also with just speaking to the American people. Yeah. Um, the uh, 100-day masking challenge. And as someone who sure. worked very heavily uh, this past year on convincing the U.S. and the West to mask up mm. with the universal masking campaign, I'm very happy to see that. Yeah. Uh, he's instituting a mask mandate for, uh, in federal uh, 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 workplaces. Yeah. Uh, the vaccines, uh, you know, we may have developed vac- new vaccines very quickly, mm. but nobody thought through the logistics. Sure. And so the rollout is far slower, which is causing massive numbers of deaths every day. It's not even 4,000 anymore. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's I think, it's... closer to 7,000 plus per day now. Yeah, but I mean, to circle back to the question, do you think, like after this flurry of activity on the, on the executive, do you think there's appetite or has there been a stated intention from the Biden administration to... Uh, like I said, bring kind of reduce the amount of executive order action and bring things back into the proper legislative. Absolutely. Sphere? I have, mean, have they made like are they explicit? They said we're going to do that. I, I mean, uh, absolutely. You know, we're we're talking about uh, Joe Biden, uh, mm-hmm. who's spent 34 years in the Senate. Yeah. But once you got that power, <laughs> you don't want to give it up. It's like, oh, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. It's like, well, but now I got the power. <laughs> I, I you know, I, I really don't think that this is how uh Biden operates. Mm. Uh, there's a respect for the traditional American democratic process. Mm. Um, because so much of that has been broken in the last four years, you have to put an end to that. But that does not mean this is the way to go forward. Yeah. We have to bring uh, uh, a degree of unity. People can disagree, but but we cannot be paralyzed. We cannot be gridlocked. And that means working across the aisle. That means actually not letting uh, uh, party politics defeat the American people. Sure. Uh, Chris, I mean, it's, 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 it's open season on Trump now, of course, and you can talk about him burning the house down for, for four years. I don't quite know how you can do that for, for four <laughs> years. Um, and you can laugh at QAnon and all, all those kinds of things. But as we said uh, just before the news, uh, in an email, 70 million people voted for him. What's going to happen to those 70 million people? Well, I think, you know, we've heard uh, in his inaugural address already uh, a massive shift in tone. Uh, And and this is something that Biden has been doing. He he has not risen to the bait uh, that simply polarizes our people further. Mm-hmm. We, you know, he, he is sending a message that we need to hear all Americans, that the uh, m- millions of Americans that did not vote for Biden are still people that Biden and the Democrats have to take care of. And it is not that is not a matter for the party there. There are people suffering massively, especially after the year long economic crisis brought mm-hmm. on by the coronavirus. And so clearly um, we're hearing a massive shift in the tone. In the rhetoric, it, it needs to be dialed down. Yeah. Uh, we we cannot make progress. We cannot sustain our our society and our culture with that degree of polarization and unwillingness to listen to valid concerns of millions of voters, regardless of which party they happen to have. Uh, yeah, Chris, Chris, excellent. Everybody's saying the Democrats are going to have a, you know, even with their majorities, they're going to have a tough time because they have slim majorities. But I mean, if, if the Republican Party is is riven by division, are they going to be able to put up an effective resistance as a as a what we would call loyal opposition in a parliamentary system? I mean, what, what's your take on that? Good morning. How well, is everyone? Uh, yeah, the thing that we're jumping I'm... right in with we're jumping, we're jumping right in with some X line action. There you go. Well, I tell you, it was so what, uh, what do you it, think? Yeah. it was fin- phenomenal to watch the uh, the inauguration last night and to sit there and and hear him say that disagreement is not disunion um, was was quite inspiring. I, I think you'll see a different tone in in Washington. I think the Republican Party uh, has to have 
not to appeal to the evangelicals, uh, a come-to-Jesus moment on what does it mean to be a Republican. Yeah. I mean, I think those that have for for the past four or five years capitulated uh, will now seek to catapult over that enormous carcass to capture the soiled spirit of its faithful. And, and I mean, I, for people like you, are you going to be? Uh, do, you, do you think you're going to be a little more welcome back in the the gang? Because you, you were no <laughs> you, you were no fan of Trump, as I think has been evident on this show. And, and uh, well, I, I, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I haven't uh, checked my inbox this morning to see if there's a, an invite to rejoin uh, the beloved Grand Old Party because it's supposed to be a big tent. Yeah, um, but I would you. Basically, right now, you've got the Republican Party in two camps, mm-hmm. those that believe that if you just forget about him, let him fade away into the past, that he'll just kind of go away, and the establishment and what it means to be a Republican will come back. And then there's others that say, no, we, we, we just can't afford to have that happen. We need to forever silence him. And I think the latter runs the risk of forever fracturing uh, the Republican Party. But then you're really talking about three groups. I mean, the, you know, the, the big parties in the United States are, have to be coalitions because they're so entrenched. You've got no other options. But Correct. I mean, the, the Republican Party was business. It was Christian conservatives. It was libertarians. Um, you know, but now it sounds like there's almost three. There's the still diehard Trumpers. And then you're saying that even the let that, you know, the, the other side, the not diehard Trumpers, even they're divided between you know, put a knife in it and, you know, double tap, make sure it's done. And others that just are like, just just let it quietly go away. I mean, that, that almost sounds like three factions. I, you know, because of the enormity of cash required to capture a political office, there is not really room for a third party. So there will only be two parties. It's just how how fractured the Republican Party will be, how quickly can it heal? And more importantly, how quickly can it find an alternative vision for which it can rally around? Yeah, because, I mean, it looks like Mitch McConnell and, and maybe even Mike Pence are going to be in the, uh, you know, put a knife in it camp. I mean, I mean, when the pro-Trump crowd started going after Elaine Chao, I guess Mitch, Mitch McConnell was not going <laughs> to stand for that. You don't go after a man's wife, you know. You gotta- well, I think I think Mitch McConnell's pretty his, – his tortoise shell is quite thick. Um, and yeah. uh, his political skills are so uh, unassailable that an assault on his wife is not going to be a motivating factor. But what I would say is that, you know, you have to look out for not not the McConnells or the Pences, but you have to look out for these other people that are striving to capture uh, the spirit of what is Trumpism. And that's Josh Hawley, uh, Ted Cruz and Mike Pompeo, Jim Jordan. But I noticed, I noticed Ted, Ted Cruz and, and I think Hawley were both at the inauguration. You know, they, they showed up. Oh, sure. They, they wanted to measure the drapes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, isn't it in their interest to have Trump uh, be convicted in the Senate? Because, I mean, for a Ted Cruz, if he wants to run again to try and be president, uh, he doesn't want to run against Trump. Well, you know, I, I don't I, I don't know. It has My voting is in the state of Texas. To the life of me, I can't understand why people have voted for Ted Cruz. He's just a horrible man. But, you know, I, I think everybody's wanting to see how the next six to eight months play out. If, if Trump kind of fades away, then – all is good. If for some reason he lands some, maybe he over uh, takes over the Rush Limbaugh show or something like that, then he's got a, a platform which doesn't require Twitter. But is oh, he'll he, certainly have uh, a platform. I mean, he can certainly yeah. get he will message always. Out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you do you see the the Republican parties? You said these uh, differences about how to deal with them. But I mean, does this divide the party? I mean, I, I come like in Canada, we had the, the meltdown of the Conservative Party when it split in the reform in the West. And 
And I mean, they were in the wilderness for a long time, and it gave the Liberal Party free reign. I mean, if, if the Republican Party splits along it, the it, it, it won't split. And don't we all dream of a meltdown Canada style? I mean, what, seriously, Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is a Canadian meltdown? I mean, come on. It leads to spring. It leads to spring. Uh, you know? You know. Yeah, I, yeah, you yeah. had to get a Canadian angle in there, didn't had you? Had to. Had to. <laughs> hey, I, haven't even, I haven't even started on the fact that Biden's first call is going to be to Trudeau, which, uh, you know, is, oh. is traditional. You know? will, will that be from St. Bart's? Where, where was your uh, Ontario? Minister making calls from? <laughs> with his sweater on, pretending yeah. he was still in the province. Yeah. Here's another Canadian view uh, on uh, Facebook from TC, who says, uh, although I may not like the style, I think some of Donald Trump's foreign policy is right. Leaving the WHO may not be entirely wrong, as the organization has become a way to trade favors between China, Africa, and Latin America. I also think he stumbled onto the right side on China. Leaders of G7 may not like him, except Japan, because these countries think world problems can be solved by holding cocktail receptions and issuing statements. Furthermore, Donald Trump is a product of the failure of the American governing elites on both the left and right. I'm not sure if this lesson is learned. For President Biden, my concern with his policy is that in an effort to isolate Russia, his foreign policy will let China off the hook. That's from uh, TC. Um, Henry says, uh, a recent press has listed some of Trump's America first. Uh, over 370,000 died from COVID. The U.S. withdrawal from 13 international organizations, built 400 miles of Mexican border, overturned 380 environmental laws, reduced refugees from 80,000 to 10,000, whereabouts of parents of over 1,000 children detained at borders unknown, trade deficit reached record high, over 600 billion, issued 25,000 fake and destructive news stroke comments stroke announcements, first in behaving in a shameless, rude diplomatic behavior, paid $750 tax himself, passed a law that the richest 400 Americans' tax rate is lower than any income group, played 289 times golf, spent in total almost one year in his golf course with all expenses paid by the U.S. government, calculated that about $40 million golf expenses went to his own pocket, most vociferous in anti-China. Trump said that he worked for Americans and have no time to play golf in 2016 and won't want a single cent to pay for his job, but people now found that he is the most expensive. The most important legacies are U.S. hypocrisy Double standard selfishness, insurrection is displayed to the full. People are all around the world know what and who U.S. is. Uh, Henry also says some have questioned on Biden's and prone to deaths while in office. I read that he does aerobic and core exercise diligently. I remember Deng Xiaoping did an excellent job for China uh, in his 80s. It comes uh, from uh, Henry and... Uh, Anthony says, I send my best regards to Kaylee McKenney and baby Blake. God bless America, hope and the world. Thanks very much indeed for those. Back chat at rthk.hk. Durkai and, and uh, Chris Exline, isn't the problem now, you know, um, nobody believes politicians. Nobody believes the elite. There's a very, very deep mistrust amounting to hatred of uh, many leaders in many fields in the United States. And I don't know what you're going to do about that, uh, okay? You know, I think that's true not only domestically but internationally. Um, there is uh, building mistrust that uh, mm. Trump has really driven in the last four years. And you cannot, there is no way to tackle worldwide existential challenges if you're just increasing polarization. If you continue to see it as a zero-sum game, uh, then... You are in a prisoner's dilemma. Mm. If you, it, when we're looking at climate change issues, when we're looking at pandemic control, you cannot take an approach of us versus them. Yep. That will sink the entire ship of the planet. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important 
what Biden is doing to re-engage multilaterally. You, we, we, we can no longer just take a simple-minded cowboy approach mm-hmm. that we are going to lead the world through American dictatorship. Wrong. This, this is a piece. <laughs> I'll get to you, Chris. Tax Americana. <laughs> we, can, we, we must absolutely uh, strengthen the uh, international uh, institutions. The WHO may have had problems. It's been massively underfunded. Uh, the way to solve that is not to cripple those institutions even further. Mm. Uh, and the way to do it is to do it with, with respect. If you go in all guns blazing, you're not going to build international cooperation. You absolutely, and same thing for climate change, it's super important that uh, one of the first things Biden did mm. was to bring us back into the Paris Climate Accord. Mm. This is an all hands on deck issue, not only amongst all Americans, but uh, amongst humans worldwide. Mm. Well, I, I think that, you know, I, it, we are talking about the legacy of Trump. And I think that the legacy, the one word to kind of uh, summarize it would be tragic. I mean, he had a laudable list of accomplishments, the Supreme Court, the Middle East, tax reform, uh, Operation Warp Speed, uh, evidence that uh, that debt uh, can actually create more growth without burdening the economy, leading to inflation. But it will languish alongside the despicable displays of his quest for personal vanity and power. So, you know, he, he will his legacy will be remembered as one that, you know, while despite all the accomplishments, uh, it was torpedoed by his own actions. Um, I think that uh, I agree a lot that, you know, the rejoining of uh, the EU, the Paris Climate Accords. Uh, Why do you think people voted for him? For whom? For, for Trump in the first place. And then 70 million voted. Uh, 74. Last- yeah, seventy-four voted uh, last year because I, they because they wanted something different. They wanted change in Washington. Well, I th- I think one he has. I don't see that appetite is going away, and it certainly hasn't been met by Biden. Well, no, I, I'll tell you, because just crescendo of chaos and confusion culminated with its assault on the Capitol. So you have a core pay, a core group of people that really believe in Donald Trump's doing the right thing. Then you also had your core Republicans that would, you know, sit there and say, you know, I'll, I'll hold my nose and pull the lever. Uh, you have a whole group of people that had benefited mightily under the Trump administration, um, not just the 400 people the other person <laughs> referenced, but many people, uh, hundreds of millions of people benefited from tax reform and deregulation. And Trump did a lot of really good things for the economy. So those are people that, that while they may not like him as a person, uh, they may not respect him as a human, but they did say, you know, all those faults aside, he's actually doing a, uh, quite a few good things. And then there was also a core of people that, like one of the reasons Hillary Clinton lost, that just didn't like Joe Biden. Uh, but the facts are unassailable. Joe Biden is now, as evidence, president of the United States, and I'm I'm quite happy for it. Um, and I think that, you know, when you saw the, I, I was actually up last night or this morning watching all of this, and his departure, Trump's departure. I mean, my gosh, you just see a man that was so full of bravado, so full of, of life, and he was just sapped of strength, sapped of power, mm-hmm. and just, I guess, revealed as just a sap. And uh, I, I do think, yeah, uh, you know, okay. uh, other points uh, of why he, uh, so many people still voted for him have a lot to do with the chaos sown by the misinformation. You know, Trump was someone who came in 2016 when a lot of us who work in AI ethics and social media problems of misinformation, we're talking about fake news. And he immediately co-opted the term uh, rather than meaning 
news that was not supported by empirical facts, mm. evidence, sure. uh, to mean news that I don't like, and replaced evidence with popularity of opinion. Mm. And I think this has been, you know, obviously it's a major problem beyond what we're talking about today, but he has been a master through Twitter and so forth at using that to mislead the voting population and mm. to appeal to unconscious biases. A lot of the things he's said to appeal to um, underlying racial biases and mm. so forth, you know, again, are, are those are scars in the American psyche, and they are difficult to work around when you have constant 24-7 bombarding mm. by AI-powered social media. And so, again, it's but, really but, important. But kicking for, him off Twitter... Surely it's just going to make that worse. And and all the sort of anti-Trump stuff, we're just getting a flavor of it at the moment, but the people losing their jobs and all the kind of backlash to Trump and kicking him off all, all kinds of media and other people and closing Newsmax or whatever you want to do, that's that's not going to go down very well, is it? No, I mean, this is a far... We, we ought to do a show on yeah. we the, will, yeah. this, which yeah. is something I work on. But I think, in the again, in the immediate term, it's important to remove some of the hardest issues in the, you know, the, like eliminating the Muslim travel ban, like mm-hmm. um, uh, giving dreamers a pathway to citizenship, sure. like stopping the incredible amounts of money being wasted on building the wall, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, actually taking comprehensive immigration reform seriously for once. Mm-hmm. You know, these are sorts of things. And of course, that will have to be in, done going through proper legislative processes, as we were discussing. But there, there will be a reckoning. I, 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 you know, Biden has got 100 days. He's got a, a tremendous amount of goodwill and capital behind him. But there is going to be a backlash because while I, don't, I did not vote for Donald Trump, I can tell you that I have a, a singular disgust for Twitter and Facebook kicking him off. I don't know how these people claim to be champions of uh, freedom of expression and then yet say, oh, well, because his freedom of expression doesn't align with our values or my values, he's no longer entitled to this platform. Freedom of expression, freedom of speech is different from freedom of reach. Well, he's the president of the United States, and he's you know. I, while I believe that his comments in front of the crowd on January sixth were inciting violence, I don't believe that his Twitter feed uh, was doing the same. And you've said you've had five, six, seven, eight years of him being on Twitter uh, without eliciting violence, Charlottesville aside. Uh, and I think that mm-hmm. it's just contemptible uh, that he was kicked off Twitter and Facebook. And I think a lot of people don't know it wasn't just him. Like they say that the uh, the Twitter followings of, of some of these people, like uh, Josh. Holly and Jim Jordan fell by thousands and thousands because they also went through and purged anybody that you know had a lot of uh, QAnon hashtags in their accounts. Those accounts all got shut down. Thousands and thousands of accounts disappeared over the but space not of Antifa, a couple of days. Not not some of the others. I mean, yeah, so yeah. you basically have these people that are self self declared moral policemen. Where where do the Democrats? Where are they going to go on this? Because I'm sure they're not going to say anything for the next few weeks. You know, but but they have to recognize that that. That power could be used against them. I mean, and, and one unusual twist, the White House Twitter account uh, from Obama to Trump, it was just kept active and it was just taken over by the White House. Um, but Twitter this time said, we're going to set it at zero. We're not going to let the White House keep the followers that Trump accumulated in that account. We're going to set it at zero and Biden can start over again, which was an unusual twist and the Democratic Party didn't like it. But they have to see this. This could be used against them in the future. Are they going to move to tame these companies or try to legislate uh, their activities? I think there's a growing recognition that, uh, you know, as Silicon Valley and as someone who comes from that AI Silicon Valley crowd mm-hmm. is experimenting. 
uh, things have evolved so quickly in our field with with both social media and AI mm. that uh, things are breaking. You know, <laughs> you know Mark Zuckerberg's uh, previous slogan, sure. right? Move fast, break things. Well, yeah, things yeah. are extremely broken, mm-hmm. uh, and these are again just band aids to to put out an immediate fire. They're not the long term solution. Yeah. We need to have long conversations about what the actual solutions need to look like. That factor in the systems thinking, the unintended consequences mm-hmm. of using AI for recommendations for search engines and for social media. So Hugo, maybe you could come back and talk about that because, yeah, it, it does deserve another program. It's something we could, we could return to. Can I get can, one um, more can, into no, before we go? No, no. no. <laughs> I was going to ask you about Americans taxed abroad. Because I control the mic, you see. I, I'm, the, uh, I'm the Twitter boss. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, what was, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. How hard should they, should they pursue Trump now? Should should they should they have the Senate trial? Should they be um, pursuing him on tax? You know, or or should they let him go? I think we were going to have to see what the temperature looks like and how obstructionist uh, the Republicans are. We saw in Obama's first term how obstructionist the Republicans okay. immediately. Okay, so so began. how we treat so <laughs> whether you prosecute Trump uh, depends on how they behave in. Yeah. I, I think there is really an attempt to unify. That sounds a bit but, but you know, unification like is a two-way street. And, uh, and so while this isn't um, a, a gunpoint sort of a comment, it, things are a two-way street. And if you make it impossible to meet someone halfway, then you cannot expect uh, that the other party is just going to keep on uh, uh, giving ground and getting again into a gridlock situation where no legislative reform it. passes at all. Chris well, nothing would eliminate gridlock more than an impeachment trial. Goodness gracious. I mean, you know, I, I think that uh, the impeachment articles of impeachment were set up to remove a sitting president. He's no longer yeah, president. Yeah. He's a private citizen. Sure. Just let it go. The nation does not need the distraction. They don't need the division. They don't need the discord. What they need is to tackle COVID. What they need to do is, is get the economy back open. What they need to do is, is increase and accelerate the vaccination of the United States of America. Which Biden is doing by increasing the well, $600 then, then check to $1,400. Do that by having these, uh, and the Chief it, Justice enhance uh, the, uh, leave his job to preside and, over some type of mock trial. You know, you, you, yeah. to do that, you have to do it concretely. So the Republicans refused to raise $600 to $1,400. The, uh, and Biden is doing that, enhancing the unemployment benefits, increasing the minimum wage, supporting small businesses. Uh, with all due respect, these are do you things think that actually need to get if done. If senators are truly busy, <clears throat> don't you think they have higher priorities than an impeachment trial for someone who's no longer in office? Oh, absolutely. But, you know, this you also go. touches upon the other point that was asked earlier, which is your three factions of Republicans. Uh, there is some hidden support for the idea of impeachment because even though he's no longer sitting president, by doing that process, it is possible to actually prevent him from being president again. Which could be the 14th Amendment could be used with a simple majority vote. It wouldn't need a two-thirds. Is that right? Yeah, but you must go through the impeachment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some comment from listeners. Matthew says, that on our response to Professor Mahoney, who was in the first half, perhaps Professor Mahoney from Shanghai University, he's actually from the uh, East, East China Normal, normal. Uh, missed reports of a forced sterilization program for Uyghur women in the CCP's Xinjiang camps because he's behind the Great Firewall. This meets the criteria for the definition of genocide. By the way, as a professor in a Shanghai University, if there really was genocide being conducted by the Chinese government, would Professor Mahoney be able to acknowledge it? I think he said he's in Tennessee now. 
He's in Tennessee at the moment, yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Matthew also says, first half of today's programme, two white North American guys with vested interests in mainland China giving their perspective on US politics. Uh, Jay says, I have to agree with Mike. Trump did a lot of things he said he was going to do. He did bring a lot of business back home to America. He did push along the vaccines. And, of course, Biden is now getting on the bandwagon on anything to blame Trump. What is frightening is the algorithms on the media to manipulate the situation. Why didn't Trump pardon Snowden and uh, Julian Assange? Um, thanks very much indeed for, for those uh, comments uh, relating to uh, yesterday's programme. Uh, S says, uh, re-ESS, what about supermarkets getting heavy subsidies and raising prices? while private dance teachers are being neglected. And uh, JR says, without unemployment benefits, how does the government have a clue as to true Hong Kong unemployment? Um, uh, Herman says, I'm flattered that Bowen chose to mention me together with former Chief Justice the Honourable Geoffrey Marr. Bowen's uniquely eloquent message today piques my curiosity, and I want to ask, Bowen, what mushrooms do you put in your mushroom coffee? That's from Herman. Magnus says, Hi, clearly the ESS was a disgraceful waste of public funds. There is nothing wrong with directing money to employees via business per se, but rather obviously the key is that money must be directed only to those sectors that need it. That's not difficult to grasp nor to achieve. In the ESS, the authorities simply handed money to every business, regardless of whether their business, uh, and hence their ability to provide employment, was damaged by COVID. As such, in most cases, it was simply a bonus for the company owners. The scheme was not fit for purpose. For many businesses, COVID is merely an inconvenience, and for a lucky some, COVID has actually provided an improvement to their bottom line. The remainder, those that have been actually negatively affected, is a minority, but for these companies, COVID has been an absolute disaster. It's incumbent on the government to finally fulfil their obligation to properly support these companies and workers to continue to bear the full brunt of COVID and the government's bungling response to it. Thoughts of Magnus there. Thank you very much indeed for that. And thank you very much indeed to our guest this morning, to uh, Dekai Wu, uh, elected voting representative for Democrats Abroad in Hong Kong, a professor of computer science and engineering at the University of Science and uh, Technology. And in our central studio, Chris Exline, former chair of Republicans uh, Abroad. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, Andrew, many thanks to you. Always a pleasure, Hugh. The weather, sunny period, 20 degrees now. Humidity is at 68%. The government provides public COVID-19 testing services through different channels. Those without symptoms but feel they have a higher risk of exposure can visit designated public clinics or other distribution points to obtain free test kits. Those having compulsory tests can visit community testing centers for free testing. The centers also provide self-paid services to those needing test reports for personal use. If feeling